You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg, and today we have a very special guest who has decades of experience talking about investments and money management and all that, you know, all that important stuff that deals with your bank accounts and your finances and what should I put my retirement money into and how should I invest? What should I do with the changing economy? And I'm speaking of, of course, none other than Jordan Goodman, who is on with us today. Say hello to everyone, Jordan. Great to be with you, Eric, and great to be with the whole crowd. Thank you so much for for taking the time to join us. So, sure. you know, we something that we uh, we a lot we talk about entrepreneurship on this show. We don't always talk about where to point our investment dollars, even though that's a really important thing to think about, especially after you earn those entrepreneurship dollars. And we just had you know big changes in Washington, and that with the era of Trump, there's a lot of people unsure what they should do with their money. We've seen the stock market skyrocket. Um, right. Even before Trump actually was able to do anything, <laughs> before he was even in, right. in all anticipation, correct. And, um, so we have all this built-in assumption that businesses are going to do great, taxes are going to fall, and you know corporate profits are going to go up. So what do you think? You know, with for average investors, you know, people trying to deal with their retirement, maybe a little extra money to put in the stock market with this Trump era. What do you think? Do you think this market's you know, overinflated? Do you think we're on the right track? How should people? put their money to work. So let's, there's two sides. There's the stock side and the fixed income side. So let's start with the stock side first. Uh, no, I think the stock market's not overvalued. I think it's going to go much higher. I mean, the Dow has recently been around 21,000. I think it's going to hit 23,000 by the end of 2017. Even if not all of what he talks about actually happens this year, but if the prospect of it actually happening gets real, then yes, profits will be much higher. Companies will deliver that as far as earnings per share, higher dividends, buyback stock, acquisitions, growing their business in various ways. So a big part of the Trump agenda is cutting taxes, both corporate and individual taxes. Corporate taxes currently, there's a 35% tax rate. He's talking about cutting that maybe to 15, maybe it'll be like 20%. But whatever it is, if those taxes come down, companies, by the nature of that, will have higher profits. Right. Uh, which will allow them to reinvest and raise dividends and so on. And then on the individual side, we're talking about cutting the in, in, the income tax rates from currently 7 to 3, and my guess would be 33%, 28%, and 12 We'll have to see, but something like that. Right. Again, putting more money into people's pockets. Now, richer people get a lot more of the benefit of those tax cuts <laughs> than poorer people. Like, no, it makes me a little jealous. Some more. of these people are going to be saving more money than I earn. <laughs> uh, this is true. Uh, a lot more. By, by the tens of thousands, that's correct. Um, but rich people get money, and there's only two things they can do with They can save it, invest it, or they can spend it. So right. both of those things are good for the economy in various ways. So that's a big part of the reason the market has gone up so much. Secondly is deregulation. It's already started to happen because a lot of that can be done through executive order. Right, we're seeing, uh, I'm seeing some stuff going coming. on with the FCC and internet rules, you know, energy everything. companies. You know, pretty much every industry is being touched. Everything that was done the last eight years under Obama is being reversed when you think of it, just about every area. So, yeah, internet rules, net neutrality you know, was being put in. That's going to be taken away. Uh, SEC, the new guy coming in the SEC, 
was formerly a Wall Street lawyer trying to battle against the SEC. <laughs> And every field you can imagine, if the Federal Drug Administration, the guy coming in, uh, was trying to get drugs approved, so he was going to get drugs approved faster. Uh, the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which was put in under Elizabeth Warren as part of the Dodd-Frank law, will either be uh, weakened dramatically or potentially closed down. We'll have to see. But all those consumer protection laws are going to be weakened or go away in various ways. I could go through every department of government, basically. <laughs> it was funny. I was just, uh, yeah. just last week, I was at the Lendit conference in New York and saw the director of the CFPB up speaking. And I'm, you know, I really hope they don't cr- totally cripple all those consumer protections. It's been some, will. some great they stuff, will. but they're, yeah, they're trying. Cordray. They're on the way. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to fire Richard Cordray, who's the guy who's, who's the CFPB head. And they, it was put in originally as part of the Dodd-Frank law. Uh, not with a congressional oversight, because exactly what happens right now, they didn't want him to be able to be fired. Right. So they're talking about putting congressional oversight in there. I mean, Dodd-Frank is one of the major bills that, that happened mm-hmm. uh, that put a lot of regulations on Wall Street to prevent the kind of crisis we had in 2008. And I think it's worked, largely. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to completely roll it back, but I think to some extent it'll be weakened. And one area I think that's positive for the economy to, to roll back is it's so tough for people to get mortgages and small business loans these days. Just really difficult. Oh, yeah. And so I'm actually cap- about to try to buy a house myself. And as a uh, self-employed individual, I'm having to jump through extra hoops that most people oh, don't. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm right in like there with everybody. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that, that's slowing the economy. If people like you are perfectly credit worthy, can't buy a house, or really, really hard to get a house. That slows economic growth. Right. right. So hopefully they'll loosen up the, the rules a little bit with Dodd-Frank to allow small businesses to get loans, uh, to allow individuals to get loans uh, for credit cards and mortgages and all those kind of things. So that's an area I think deregulation could actually help the economy in a, in a major, major way. So one other area that I've noticed, um, you know, speaking in the investment world, you know, Trump has spoken a lot about areas specifically he wants to put a lot of money into. Uh, he's talked about infrastructure as one place, you know, building a giant wall on the Mexican border. And looking, you know, thinking through things like that, it looks like there's some specific industries. Um, and you'd mentioned like the drug industry that, that might have a fast track to get, you know, generics right. and other drugs on the market. Are you seeing any specific industries that you think yes. are the best yes. places to funnel your money to capitalize on Trump? Yes. So drugs would definitely be one. So my within the drug industry, my favorite would be the biotechnology space. And you can either do individual companies like a Biogen, Amgen. I just live about a half hour drive from Amgen's headquarters. Amgen, great <laughs> company's done really well. Celgene, uh, you know, those kind of companies will will do well. Or an easier way to do it is a uh, exchange traded fund which does all the biotech stocks in one, which is called IBB. That's the symbol for it. So it's, you get twenty biotech stocks in one, and that's done well. And if the FDA commissioner, the new one, does get drugs approved faster, and I think there's a lot of these drugs that are perfectly fine and they're just held up forever. That would be positive for patients to get therapies they couldn't get otherwise and obviously be very positive for these uh, drug companies. So that's an area that I think would benefit from Trump. And exactly as you say, infrastructure. Uh, So that means cement and asphalt and engineering firms and construction firms. I mean, all those companies that are in the infrastructure business, all those people will benefit. Now, already those stocks have moved to some extent in anticipation of the infrastructure plan. But if it in fact happens, there's lots of room to go there. And it's also meaning higher prices for natural resources. 
for coal and steel and aluminum and copper and all these things that would be fed into an infrastructure rebuild, uh, those prices have already started to go up t- to some extent. So you could do the, the miners of those things, uh, for example, which have been quite depressed the last few years because commodity prices have been very, very weak last three years, basically. What was happening before, from 2011 to 2014, roughly, China was growing at 10 to 12% and sucking up all the commodities around the world, and then it got overbuilt, dramatically overbuilt. I was in China recently, and there's huge amounts of new buildings that are empty. They hear about all these uh, condos and apartments that people... People, because they, they're afraid to put their money in the Chinese stock market these days, I've heard, are buying up extra condos. There's buildings full of extra condos owned by people who they never, all even, set, they never even set foot inside. <laughs> yeah, these are what are called ghost cities, and they've built a lot of them. So it was a massive building, but th- that's over now. They don't need to build more empty cities. They've got enough yeah, empty yeah. cities. So that let, when there was less demand from China, commodity prices fell quite sharply, and that really hurt. Uh, all the commodity-producing countries, Australia, Chile, Brazil, Canada, Mexico, South Africa, you name it, uh, because they were reliant on those higher commodity prices from strong demand from China. And when that started slowing down, commodity prices fell sharply. And now it looks like that may reverse to some extent. If we can get on a major infrastructure spending program, get commodity prices up, that'll help those countries around the world as well. Yeah, it seems so, like that. that's the part of Trump's plan that, you know, I won't be shy that I'm not a huge fan of a lot of what Trump's trying to do, but the infrastructure stuff makes a lot of sense to me. It looks a lot like, I mean, he wouldn't probably compare it to that, but it looks a lot like some things they were doing with the New Deal, you know, trying to get a lot of people to work very quickly and just infuse money into all these industries that support those laborers. The the difference, though, between FDR and Trump is that this is going to be done with private-public partnerships. Right. So it's not all going to be public money going into these things. Say they'll put a toll road in that'll be put in by a private company and that'll collect tolls and then that kind of thing. So it's not just purely federal money that's going to go into these things. Whereas in FDR's day, you know, the WPA and all those places were just pure yeah. public money and, and people were on the government payroll. So, but it's very, very positive. So that's kind of on the equity side, two areas I would like, biotechnology and infrastructure plays. On the fixed income side, Interest rates have been rising. Uh, the Federal Reserve uh, raised rates in mid-March uh, by a quarter point. I think they're going to raise rates another two points, two times, in uh, 2017. Uh, they're doing it because they feel the economy is strong enough and able to with- withstand that. But what that means is that what you're paying on loans is going up. Credit cards, student loans, car loans, mortgages. That, Anything that's with an up. adjustable rate or any new loans. So for people who have fixed rates, don't worry, your rates aren't going to go up. <laughs> right, but a, a lot of loans are tied to the yeah. prime rate, right, and those right. are going to be going up. So what you're paying is going to go up, but what you're earning on deposits, on CDs, savings accounts, money market funds, is not going up. Okay, the banks are just profiting the difference, and their so-called net interest margin is widening, and the bank stocks have done really well. But for the poor depositor and saver, They're getting screwed, frankly, is what happens. They don't seem to have any constituency at all, uh, you know, in their favor. There's currently about $10 trillion with a T, $10 trillion sitting in savings accounts, CDs, money market funds, pretty much earning zero. So you'll be uh, lucky if you earn 0.1% in a lot of accounts these days. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to stay that way. So, uh, so that's an area I want to help people because there are alternatives where you can get higher yields 
without taking much risk at all instead of having it in the bank earning nothing. And one thing I do myself are what are called commercial real estate income funds. And that's a way of earning 8% very safely, minimum hold 18 months, no commissions whatsoever. Uh, and there's a website related to that, commercial real estate income funds.com. Uh, they got a phone number too, 888-444-2102. And what they're doing is they're lending money to high quality commercial real estate projects that use it to renovate or improve themselves over a one year time frame. When the project is done, they share some of the profits when they sell the building with the fund shareholders. So you not only get 8%, but you get profit sharing on top of that, which could be maybe another 1% or 2%, which they pay out quarterly whenever there's a sale of a property in the portfolio, which might have 30 or 40 properties in it. Is that so, just limited to accredited investors, nope. or can anyone get in Anybody can get in that. Minimum $5,000, and anybody can get it, not accredited only at all. Yeah, there's um, a handful of some neat you know, uh, fintech companies coming out nowadays. You know, there's one that I write for called Realty Shares. There's a handful mm-hmm. of companies like this. I know Realty are, Shares. Yeah, yeah. They're, like, they're like lending club for real estate. You know, they aggregate all the uh, the investor funds. Do you think that's a generally yes, good direction? Yes, I do. And, and re- uh, and, the reason that these are doing so well is because Dodd-Frank is making it hard for people to get loans. So the marketplace responds to that and says, okay, you if you get can't get it from traditional else. banks, you've got to go to these alternative routes like Realty Shares, like commercial real estate income funds, because people want to get their projects done. Just because they the traditional banks don't want to do it doesn't mean that people aren't going to go ahead and Someone do their Someone out there has right. money and they're willing to invest it in your project. <laughs> Correct. Correct. You just have and, to pay and, the right rate and find the right investor. Yeah. And and do due diligence all the way along. I mean, the people that have done that particular fund I mentioned, the commercial real estate income fund, have been doing this for 35 years. They're extremely careful about who they lend to. They've got a 1,200-point checklist Wow. to make sure everything is correct. Uh, and they've got a great track record of it. And they've got, like, they think of it as like a partnership, really, with the borrower. It's not like with a bank, you're, they're not your partner, they're your enemy, basically. <laughs> and so that's why the borrowers are willing to give up some of their profit to the fund shareholders in order to get a fun, a, a, their project funded quicker and easier. So they're willing to give up some of the profits. I'll just give you an example, if it helps at all. Uh, there was a recent one they did where the, a guy had a large house in a university town. I think it was in Boulder, Colorado. That's where I went to school. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, it's a big college town. So he was renting it out to two students. So he got a loan from the fund and then renovated this entire house. And a year later, it was uh, for four students. He had made two apartments into four, four bathrooms, four kitchens, four doors. So his income on the same house just doubled, basically. So obviously the value of the house went up a lot, right? and he sold the house at a big profit. Um, so for him, it's worth it to pay whatever it was, 10%, because his profits were much bigger than that. Right. Uh, and he couldn't, he couldn't get a loan from a local bank. So that's a typical kind of, the, the strategy they use is what's called forced appreciation. It's not based on how the Boulder real estate market's doing, it's based on knowing the cash flow of the particular product, you know, project is going to be much higher once the project is done. Oh, that's great. So are there, you know, t- other fixed income options out there? You know, a lot fixed income for for those who don't know it, there generally refers to bonds or some kind of a instrument that you can put your money into that will pay you a fixed amount over time. You know, do so you- the problem the problem with bonds is and bond surrogates, things like real estate investment trusts, master limited partnerships, utility stocks, kind of track bonds, is when interest rates rise, you're going to lose a lot more in principal than you're gaining in income. Okay, so that's why fixed income is 
kind of dangerous right now because if interest rates keep rising, because I think they will, say the long-term treasury, 10-year treasury, which today is maybe 2.5%, goes up to 3%. doesn't sound like much at all. Well, you'll lose like 5 to 7% of your principal. And your earning, people don't want to pay. You know, when they can get something for 3%, they're not going to pay you a premium to pay, get 2.5%. <laughs> they pay you less. The value of the bond goes down. That's correct. Right. So, and, and not only bonds, but the, the bond surrogates I mentioned. So I'd be careful about going traditional bonds uh, in, in, the, in a rising interest rate environment, which is what we're in right now. I'm not giving another area that I like, uh, which is oil and gas. So you can. And they do, were just battered lately, but it seems like that's pretty much stabilized and, and things are going back the right it, direction. It is. And if you do it right, I mean, there are funds where you can actually get, they've, they've locked in oil at about $18 a barrel. Uh, and so in a case like that, if oil's 45 or 50, you know, you're going to do just fine, okay, because the cost of oil's so low. You can get about 8.5% on those kind of funds uh, as well. These are proven reserves. This is not exploration of new stuff. This is existing wells that are already pumping that have many years of proven reserves going forward. Uh, so that's another area I would like as far as fixed income. Yeah, that's great. You know, and um, you know, for people looking to invest, you know, you have a lot of different options. You don't just have to buy an individual stock, though. You can. You know, there's there's a, a war right now. You can buy stocks at some of the biggest brokerages for you know, just five dollars a trade. There's even some like Robinhood and. Uh, loyal three that are doing free trades but don't forget yep. you can get instant diversification within those industries buying things like etfs or um there's a, a new investment or not brand new anymore called motif um, i'm actually an affiliate if you're interested it's personal i know motif investing very well uh -huh. personal profitability.com slash motif m-o-t-i-f where you can buy like an etf just a bucket of stocks related to a specific industry uh, how would you you know for new investors, people looking to really get their footing, um, how would you explain the need to diversify both within accounts, like within your retirement account versus you know across all of your accounts? Well, you definitely want to diversify to some extent. I mean, otherwise, you're, they say putting all your eggs in one basket and the basket, doesn't, if it falls apart, that's not so good. Right, right. Uh, I mean, this, the simplest way would be uh, an index fund of some kind, whether it be a mutual fund like a Vanguard or Fidelity mutual fund or an exchange traded fund like the S&P 500 would be SPY. Uh, th that would be the ETF for the S&P 500. So there with one purchase, you're buying 500 stocks that is you know, well diversified for you. So as a starter, that's certainly a good way to go because in the long run, most money managers, most active money managers do not beat the passive indexes. Passive meaning they're just following whatever's in the index. They're not making decisions to try to beat the index. And along, in fact, there was recently a bet that Warren Buffett, the head of Berkshire Hathaway, had made in 2007 with some fancy hedge fund manager saying, uh, I will bet you, I forgot what it was. I think it was, huge it was a million dollars. I bet a million dollars. But it's going uh, to charity. I like that. Okay. But the point <laughs> of it was, you, Mr. Fancy Pants Hedge Fund, are up against this uh, index fund. The S&P 500 and, Vanguard fund, I think. And we'll see what happens in 10 years. And so the 10 years has come, and the hedge fund guy got destroyed, basically. It wasn't even close. I think it was a hedge. bucket of 10 hedge funds compared to the S&P 500 over a decade. So that's a good. that was a real-life example uh, where all these fancy-pants hedge funds with all their fees and research uh, didn't even beat the uh, index fund. So I'm just saying for the average person to get started, as you were talking about, uh, that's a, a way you can do it. Now, a head, a, an index fund has no breaks or parachute on the downside. Okay? Right. You you feel the full brunt of a 2008, 
but you feel the full gain of a you know post-Trump election. So you, you got to be able to hang in there when things go down because it can get scary if things go down. But in the long run, you can do well. And then the what you want to do is what's called dollar cost averaging. You want to keep adding to it on a regular basis, $100, $200, $500, whatever you can afford per month. And so when you're putting it in every month, automatically when the prices are up, you buy fewer shares. When the prices are down, you buy more shares, which is the right way to do it. But psychologically, you don't feel good that way. You don't feel good when it's down. You feel like you want to run the other direction. And when it's up, you want to buy more. <laughs> okay, so it's counteracting your normal psychological tendency to do the wrong thing, which is to buy high and sell low. Right. Uh, that's, so that's another way you can do it. Yeah, and that's yeah. um, and that's what I've been doing. And I, I think for years that if you do that, listeners, over decades and just don't even think about it, automatically put that money away again and again and again, you get to, as Jordan just said, ride the down cycles, but you'll also ride the up cycles. And over the history of the S&P 500, the average, you know, the, uh, the average increase is about, I think it was 8% per year historically. So even on those bad years, if you keep putting money away, you're actually benefiting yourself more because then when those good years come along, uh, as Jordan said, you get more shares and, and your income goes up more. Your Automatically. Up I mean, more. One of my basic principles of personal finance is set things up. So automatically the right things happen for you because a lot of people have things set up automatically. The wrong things are happening for them. Okay. If you're paying the minimum on your credit card every month and you have interest piling up against you at 15 or 20%, whatever it may be, that's automatically being in the wrong habit. Right. If you have an, an index fund where you're automatically putting a hundred or $200 in it every month, no matter what, that's automatically the right thing happening for you. And in the long run, what a difference it's going to make to have what I call positive compounding working for you instead of negative compounding working against you. Well, there was that famous quote. I don't remember if it was Einstein or someone else who said, you know, those who uh, compound interest is a powerful tool. Those who don't understand it, pay it. Those who understand it, earn it. Exactly. So definitely <laughs> earn, understand how compound interest works. It's, um, so that's, that's a good thing. Uh, in, in this interest area, one area that I'm really passionate about is helping people pay their mortgages off faster. A lot of people do not realize you do not have to be paying on a 30-year mortgage. It, on your existing level of income, you can typically pay it off in about five to seven years using a strategy called equity optimization, mortgage equity optimization. Is, is that something you're familiar with, Eric? I mean, I've heard a little about it, but please do share. Okay. Yeah. So with a traditional 30-year mortgage, uh, you take out the mortgage, you make the same payments for 30 years, all the interest is front-end loaded. The first 10 to 15 years is mostly interest. After 15 years, you may have paid off 10% of the principal, something like that. And then even worse, if you refinance the mortgage to get a lower rate, you just started a new 30-year clock all over again. Right. Okay. The bank's going to say you made a wonderful deal here because you, you saved all this rate. money. <laughs> you're saving all this money. But that's yes, only if you the, make the minimum payment every month. Is which most people money. do. They make whatever the payment. So you've made this wonderful deal by just restarting another 30-year clock. And after the signing, they have a little party in the back room. We got another one on the hook. You know, <laughs> what a great job we did. Let's get a bonus. And meanwhile, your money is sitting in a checking account earning zero. Okay. So this is what works very well for the bank. Your money's sitting in a check account earning zero, and you pay them interest for 30, if not 40 or 50 years, okay? That's the paradigm that works well for the bank. I like to invert that paradigm and have your money actually work for you, which is what equity optimization is all about. So the way it works is this. You use a home equity line of credit, a HELOC, H-E-L-O-C, mm -hmm. which is a liquid line against your house, 
and you can put money in. You can take it out whenever you like. It acts like a second mortgage on your, your home, basically. Instead of keeping your money, your paycheck and your income in a checking account earning zero, you keep it in the HELOC, which pushes down your balance every day. HELOCs are based on what's called average daily balance. How much do you owe today? So if you had a $50,000 HELOC that you'd borrowed against that and you put it $1,000, you now owe 49 instead of 50, right? So you're paying interest on 49. Mm -hmm. So literally every month that goes by, if your income is being poured into the HELOC on a continuous basis, your mortgage balance is going down at an accelerating rate as you pay your mortgage off faster. People have a hard time getting their mind around that. As you pay your mortgage off faster, you pay less and less every month. So is this... (laughs) Uh, that that part I get. I'm, I just want to think back through. So are you saying you take the HELOC out, use the funds from the HELOC to pay the primary mortgage? P- pay down the first. Chris. I'll then, just give it a simple example. Okay, now I got it. Okay. So let's say you had a $200,000 mortgage and say your house is worth three hundred. I'm just giving rough ideas. Mm-hmm. So say you get a $50,000 HELOC as your second. So you'd open the HELOC. It's now open and, and clear. You would write a check on the $50,000 HELOC towards the first. So now instead of owing 200, you owe 150. Right. Right. And then you're saving and, interest every month. And you use this technique to pay the HELOC off the 50,000 in six months, nine months, you know, however the numbers work. So say in nine months, it's paid off. You then do it again. You write another $50,000 check on your first. So instead of 150, you're now at 100. Pay the HELOC off. You do it twice more. Your first is now gone. You pay the HELOC off. And in whatever, five, six years, you are completely mortgage free at age 35 or something like that because your money has been working for you every day instead of working for the bank. This is a revolutionary idea. There actually is a website that people can kind of find out more about how this all works and personalize it for their own situation, which is truthinequity.com, truthinequity.com, free website. You go on there, learn about how this works. You fill in what's called a personal profile, which puts in your name, your uh, house value, your income, your expenses, your mortgage, all the different things is to say, okay, based on what you're doing today, it's going to take you 28 and a half years to pay off your mortgage. Mm -hmm. And based on the numbers you just gave us, it's going to be six and a half years to pay off your mortgage, whatever it comes out to be. So you now know how quickly you're going to be able to pay it off. And then they show you step by step how to implement. I've given you the general principle. There's a lot of Details to make sure you do it right. Yeah, so, so and I'm everything we uh, and every every link we discussed today, listeners, will be in the show notes. So you head to right. personalprofitability.com and you'll be able to find every link we talk about today. So I just saved your listeners twenty five years off their mortgage and tens of thousands of dollars in needless interest, and the bank never even know what happened to them. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I love th- I love this idea. So you know, you hear about you know, I hear about people. You read like Mister Money Mustache. He's another finance yep. blogger I know. And guys like him are you know, working really hard to save a huge chunk of their income, pay off all their debts, you know, their overhead, the stuff that's going to happen every month. If you can lower that as low as you can, that's where people are able to retire early, you know, chase self-employment, things like that, because you're uh, what one of my friends calls the monthly nut, you know, the, that stuff you right. have to pay for no matter what gets smaller. And you have so much more freedom with that. It's uh, but What we've just done is lower your monthly nut. If we're getting that mortgage paid off sooner, can you imagine a, a, a 30-year-old couple that has their mortgage paid off at 35 instead of 60? Well, right? What a difference in their life tens is going to be. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, depending on where you live. You know, I'm, I'm living in Southern California now. Uh, our mortgage payments are, are not small. And even with those, you, know, you still have property taxes and insurance. So you're 
your payments don't go down to nothing, your expenses, but if you can save, you know, 50 to 75% of your monthly cost and just, just keep that, you know, that's vacations, that's uh, savings for your kids to go to college. That's, that's your retirement. Your retirement. That's, yeah, exactly. that's, uh, so this is just to be clear, Eric, there are three things you need to make mortgage equity optimization work for you. The first one is you've got to have a decent credit score because you've got to be able to qualify for that HELOC, meaning like 680 or higher. Mm-hmm. Second thing, you've got to have equity in your house. If, you, if you're underwater in your house, there's nothing to borrow against, so a HELOC right. is not going to work. And probably the most important, the third thing, you have to have positive cash flow during the month, more money coming in than going out, because that positive cash flow is what's working through the HELOC, as we described, and that's what's bringing your mortgage balance down. So the more positive cash flow you've got, the more money coming in compared to your expenses, the faster that thing's going to get paid off. And that truth and equity will actually, they have an algorithm to figure it out based on the amount of positive cash flow, how quickly it is. And then if over time your positive cash flow gets better, it'll just be paid off that much faster. And if your cash flow isn't positive each month, you have bigger problems to deal with than, than just starting with your mortgage. Right. But that's a, I mean, yeah, that, this is, it's a great concept. I like this. This is very so that, cool. That's paying off your mortgage. How about if I paid off your car loan faster? I'm trying to go for the big expenses that people might have. Right. Yeah. You know, any, any, you could take the same you know, philosophy, take out a HELOC, which I've told people, you know, I used to work in a bank. I was a bank manager. It was my first job out of school. And I tell people, quit paying, you know, 20% interest on your credit card and 8% on your card. You know, on your uh, car loan, package it all up, pay them all off, and attach it to your house, which means, yes, you do have that increased risk of if you stop paying, you lose your house versus just your credit score. But it can save you so much money because you're giving the banks you know, something in case you stop paying, and they're willing to charge you a lot lower interest rate if they have some collateral on the loan. Yep, that could work. That, that's one way to do it is to pay a car loan off that way. I'll tell you another way to do it, though, which is to change the maturity of your car loan, because a lot of people are paying much bigger car payments than they really can afford. And so what you can do is by changing the maturity of the car loan, and the cars tend to last longer today than they did in the past, you can get the I'm payment down. I'm coming up on the 10-year anniversary of buying my car, which yeah, I paid well, off in two years. <laughs> okay, well, you paid off in two years, and that's fine, but you had a higher payment than had you paid it I off did. in I did. four years or five years or whatever. I, dull- I, did, I had a five-year loan and just more or less doubled my payment every month. Yeah, so that's fine, but not everybody's going to have the cash flow for that. So there's a website that can help people there, which is MyLoanGen, G-E-N, MyLoanGen.com. It's a free website. You put in your car, uh, car payment, interest rate, how many more months you have to go, and then you, there's like a little dial that you take a look at, and you can literally move the dial wherever you want to fix a car payment that's more comfortable for your budget. So right now you're paying $400 a month, and it's three years to go. I'm making up the numbers here. Sure. You move it out to six years, and your payment's $150, whatever it comes out to be. And then you click Submit, and there's a bunch of credit unions around the country who compete for your business to get you a better car refinancing loan at no cost Great. to you. So a similar uh, idea to like a you know, select quote for life insurance, but right. for car loans. For car loans, for refinancing car loans, which a lot of people, in the last few years, we've had huge car sales, over 17 million car sales, which is great, except a lot of people got in way over their head and got a bigger car than they really could afford, and so their car payments are crushing them. So if you really want a, a growth business in this country, uh, the hook, 
right? The the repo men are going to be very busy as these <laughs> cars are coming back. I was actually just a couple of years ago, I was looking at some reports on um, what the car auto loan industry was doing, and it looked eerily familiar to what the mortgage industry had it been is. doing about five years before. It's, uh, renting, I can't believe they the can get away with couldn't this. couldn't really afford it. Correct. Yeah, exactly right. This is exactly so. what Dodd-Frank was supposed to prevent, except now they've moved on to the next biggest asset people so have. What they say, what the car loan people say is, well, we can always take the cars back where it's harder to take people's homes back. You know, Well, that may be true. But that it's doesn't little, mean it's a good thing. It's not for a the good economy thing. or for people or for their business. You know? the, the new thing they do now is they've got these remote disabling devices so literally, the day you don't make your car payment, they will disable your car wherever you are, and you can't use the car. So that's a real motivation to make your car payment. Yeah. There have been cases where people are driving along in the 405 freeway, and all of a sudden their car dies because they didn't their mortgage payment didn't arrive. That's kind of dangerous. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it causes a lot worse traffic when I'm on the way to LAX. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean, I, yeah, I don't think they should be uh, able to disable cars that are in motion. I, they I get, do, but I they get do. that's that seems crazy. But um, <laughs> it's it's the world we live in today. And technologies, it's amazing, but it also gives uh, gives people secret weapons that are, aren't so, always so. Great. Because of that, they're able to make car loans to people who in the past wouldn't have gotten them because it's much easier to. And they've got a GPS, so they can find where the so car like is, a, like, like a LoJack or something. Right. Some idea. This is kind of reverse LoJack. It's like yeah. LoJack is to, if your car is stolen. This is allowing the repo man to come and take your car from yeah. you. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's that's a, a scary thought. You know, I was something I often you know debate with people is you know people want to make uh, buy cars outright and new cars versus used cars and leases for people who want new cars all the time. You know, when I uh, an anecdote from when I worked at the bank, you know, I got my um, brand new uh, Corolla when I worked there, uh, but I pulled into the parking lot right next to tellers and new account reps who made about half what i did and they had these big escalades and you know fancy uh, luxury cars and yep. most of the the managers had um you know, so some of them got to be nicer you know, as they moved up the chain of of what they earned but they were always generally practical sedans like family cars and i'd look at the people who made less and they had these big cars and i one day sat down was talking to one of the other managers and i said well, you know, why do you think all these all these employees are getting these really expensive cars that are nicer than you know what we're buying um and he said well they don't understand the difference between a depreciating asset and an appreciating asset if you go right. to the homes of all these managers they all had nicer homes than and less nice cars because homes go up in value and cars go down in value and it's really important when you're taking out a car loan or getting a lease to understand that concept that just because it feels cool to drive around in doesn't mean it's good for your money. It's. Um, I would say it's better to to put put money into appreciating assets and lease or rent depreciating assets so you don't take the depreciation hit. When you buy a new car and you drive off the dealer showroom, you just lost like five thousand dollars in one second. Okay. Yeah. And that's why most car loans are underwater because the car depreciates much faster than the loan is paid off. The loan's paid off slowly. The depreciation is very fast. So you'll never re recoup your money, uh, basically. That's uh, So I usually lease my cars because uh, I, in three years or whenever I do it, I just turn the car back in, and I haven't taken the depreciation hit that way. The payments are lower, and I always get the new technology with a new car in three years or so. So that's always worked for me. So watch your assets growing for you 
instead of putting it in, as you say, a depreciating asset. While we're on the subject of cars, if I can just help your listeners a little bit there. Sure. You don't have to be on your own in getting uh, a, a deal on cars. There are independent car buying services that will work on your behalf to make absolutely sure you get the best deal. My favorite one is called carq.com, C-A-R, the letter Q.com. Uh, their phone number, 800-517-2277. The woman who runs that is named Linda Goldberg, who's actually in the San Francisco area. She is a fierce consumer advocate. And the last five cars I've gotten, I go to the dealer, get the best deal I can on my own, and then fax it to CarQ, and she beats it. The last one, I have an Infinity, she beat it by $4,000 over the best deal I could get on my own. Cool. You are not a good car buyer for the most part. Is that simil- is it, it's a similar idea. I'm guessing something like uh, True Car where you can go and see you know multiple rates of different cars being sold in an area. Is that kind of what she well, does? Well, the difference is True Car is actually a front organization for the dealers. Okay, Now, those dealers pay True Car to get leads. Okay. And so it makes it look like it's a consumer-oriented service, but actually it's a lead-generating service for the dealers. So it's not as consumer-friendly as it, they make it look that way. CarQ is truly independent. They don't take any money from dealers or manufacturers at all. Uh, they charge a fee to you, the consumer, of like $350 to $500, whatever you, you're going to do. Or if but you're saving $4,000, that, that's I'm totally worth to it. I'm to spend 300 to save 4000 Yeah, that, that's, that's a good deal. That's, <laughs> that's a, a good ROI. Well, because <laughs> they shop around all the different dealers where you are, maybe within 100 miles or so, and then they basically said, here's the best deal. Go and sign, and that's it. <laughs> you tell them what model, what color, what option you want, and then they go do it, and then you go find, and you know they're going to get the best deal, not only on the price of the car, but financing or leasing, because that's where the real money is made, and getting you the best deal on that. And trade-ins. You're probably going to get a terrible deal on trade-ins when you trade in your car, and, and most people don't know they're getting ripped off that way. So, again, it's good to have somebody on your side uh, who makes sure you get the absolute best deal and carq.com are the best people I know. Oh, that's great. You know, this has all been great, you know, useful information. We've been, we've been packing this one full of facts more than usual. So everyone, if this is one, I think you might want to uh, come back, listen again, um, you know, check those show notes again, personalprofitability.com. If you go to slash blog, you'll see a list of all the recent episodes and, um, and pod and blog posts as well. So, you know, Jordan, thanks so much for being here with us. This has been, fun this is super useful information if anyone wants to connect with you learn more about what you're doing find more of your wisdom where should they go online to connect so my website is moneyanswers.com i also do a weekly uh radio show kind of podcast on what's called the voice america business network which is called the money answers show i've been doing it for about 10 years so all the past segments are on there as well where i've interviewed all the top people in personal finance for many many years so I just love to help people. And if they have emails or follow-ups on other things we've talked about, be glad to help them. There's a little Ask Jordan button at moneyanswers.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. Everyone, please do check that out. It's, uh, I checked out the website before we jumped on today, and it's filled with awesome resources. So, uh, so thank you, Jordan, for sticking around with us and sharing everything that we have. It's been a fun discussion. Thank you, listeners, for sticking around to the end. As always, if you enjoyed the show, please stop by iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating. And if you found something useful or you heard a tip today that you thought, oh, you know who would really be able to benefit from that? You know, insert name here, whether it's your friend, your uncle, your cousin. You know, shoot them a link to the episode so they can get that same benefit as well. So again, thank you, Jordan. Thank you, everyone, for listening till the end. And until next time, stay profitable.
Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.